Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Monday Night Dallas Death Discussion. It is March 7th, 2016. Hard to believe we're a week into March already, but uh, the clock just keeps spinning. It goes faster and faster and faster and faster. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it. But uh, uh, I hope everybody is thinking ahead because next weekend we're going to be on daylight savings time starting 2 o'clock Sunday morning. Yay! So a week from tonight we're going to be on daylight savings, so I hope everybody remembers to change their clocks. I I will not have any problem doing that because I love daylight savings time. I'm personally glad to see it come back. and uh, That's that's one place my ex-wife and I disagreed heartily. She hated it because she lost an hour of sleep. That is silly. Well, that's what I thought, but, you know, that's life in the big city. But anyway, uh, next week we uh, we do have daylight savings, so please don't forget to change your clocks or you're going to screw something up when you try and get on this call. You're either going to be late or you're going to be really early. So uh, anyway, I have to do a disclaimer and tell everybody, like I always do, that uh, this is Dallas Debt Discussion. This is not Dallas Debt Legal Advice Line. We don't give legal advice. We don't know what it is. Uh, To our knowledge, the only people that uh, are able to dispense legal advice are attorneys. And they got those bar cards and all that good stuff that they spend a lot of money going to school for and all that. And they can do that. We can't, so we don't even try. We we don't have a clue. But we discuss various issues. We discuss the consumer protection statutes that we're mm, fairly knowledgeable of. But uh, we also discuss people's situations that they may find themselves in or uh, help answer questions for people that are, you know, wondering how they might deal with a certain situation that they may have or, you know, may, may be contemplating having at some point in the future. You know, one never knows. Sometimes we do know, but uh, a lot of times people don't know. But the bottom line is no legal advice here. Uh, when you come on the call, you are not muted. That's by design. I ask everybody to mute themselves, please, when you come on this call. You can do that by hitting star six on the keypad on your phone. It'll If you listen... If you're on a speakerphone when you do it, you'll hear it say, you are muted. And if you hit star six again, it'll say, you are unmuted. It's a toggling feature. It's very simple. TalkShoe is really pretty easy to use on your end. And uh, if you want to raise your hand to put yourself in the queue to ask a question or make a comment after we get done with good news, to do that, all you need to do is have yourself muted using star six, first of all, then hit star eight then quit playing with the buttons because if you start playing around with the buttons, you'll screw up your place in the queue. Just a fair warning for those people that may not be real familiar with it. 
And with all that said, uh, we will start with good news like we always do. And the reason we do that is very simple. We hear enough of the garbage, the crap, the trash, the filtered content, the indoctrination material that the mainstream media puts out, the stuff they want you to know, whether it's true or not. And, of course, they'll very much leave out things they don't want you to know. And a good example of that was uh, this past weekend, Donald Trump was in Wichita, Kansas. Quite a quite a big deal for, you know, uh, the state of Kansas. Let's face it, they're, they're not the... Uh, highest population state in the uh, country, but uh, it was really very interesting. There was one of the stations that had live coverage of uh, all the stuff going on at the convention center where Donald Trump was going to be speaking. There were people waiting out there in line in the dark or early in the morning to be able to get in there. And uh, Remember, this is Kansas. Uh, it's not like Dallas where you got a stadium that holds 130,000 people. They uh, they had uh, thousands and thousands of people that showed up, just cheering, just raucous crowd for Donald Trump. And one of the television stations was there, was there with live coverage. Another one was, uh, you know, was talking about it, but they didn't have live coverage. But then there was the ABC affiliate that didn't even mention he was in town. Now you talk about media that was biased. There's a good example in the heartland of America. They never even mentioned he was there, much less have any coverage of it. But they had plenty of time for Ted Cruz. Hmm, very interesting. You think there isn't any bias in the media, everybody? And it's oh, yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not in Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, Dallas, and San Francisco. It's out in the heartland and places like Wichita, Kansas, and many other places as well. So if you depend on the mainstream media to find out what's going on or hear any semblance of the truth, you got a lot of learning to do because you're being indoctrinated, you're being given what they want you to have and nothing more. So anyway, that's just an interesting example that uh, occurred in the last few days of what's going on. But uh, anyway, you know, politics is politics. And, of course, uh, this time around it's gotten very raucous simply because there's somebody that's speaking up and talking about the things that most of the people in this country are thinking about but never hear from any other or any politician. I won't say any other politician because Donald Trump isn't a politician. And he can't be controlled. Yeah, that's the yeah. problem. <laughs> well, I personally like Donald Trump. I read his book when it was published, The Art of the Deal, back in the 80s. Uh, he's a very smart man. I would suggest, if you want to know a little bit about Donald Trump, go buy his book. Uh, you'll find it a fascinating read. You very, can actually you, you can find it in the libraries. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you can. Yeah, it's been out there since the '80s. But when he published that way back in the '80s, I you know I was pursuing a lot of business-related stuff, and of course that was something that caught my interest. And uh, I. I lost my copy of that book years ago in one of my divorces. I don't even remember which one. But how uh, do you lose, <laughs> Dave? How do you lose custody of uh, the art of the deal? Believe me. Yeah, well, I lost. No, I lost custody of the book. I didn't lose custody of the art of the deal. But uh, I, I actually am thinking very seriously of uh, purchasing another copy and rereading it again. Uh, Donald Trump is a fascinating individual, and uh, I've 
I've gotten some very interesting videos and other information that have been sent to me, not just about Donald Trump, but about, uh, you know, things in general. And uh, uh, another another individual that uh, has got a lot of good information out here concerning the, the situation as a whole, that uh, if you haven't heard of him, is a gentleman by the name of Bill Whittle. And if you just uh, do a Google on the firewall, you'll find Bill Whittle. He's got some fantastic videos and uh, about factual information. The only thing I can say about all that, about all of it is, we have a lot of really, really serious problems in this country right now. Well, I don't think there isn't anybody that doesn't realize that, Terry. But, but, there's a but. None of them are going to be able to be solved until we rescue this economy and bring ourselves back from the abyss. Without that, there's no resolution for anything else. Well, there isn't going to be any resolution to the economy or anything else until we get get rid of the hornet's nest of corruption in Washington, D.C. And it's exactly. as bad there as it is in any other country, any third world country in, in, on this planet. Don't kid yourself. Don't think that we're immune to it, that, you know, you read about corruption in other uh, countries, you know, Mexico and other places, Argentina and Brazil. And our, it's right here, folks. It's right here. And if you keep on voting and electing the same people from the same bunch, i.e., the politicians, parties, you can expect, well, the two parties are the same group of people. They're, they're just divided uh, so that they can put on a show that there's supposedly a battle going on, you know, the good versus the bad. Make no mistake, if you don't understand divide and conquer, go Google it. Understand the concept. That's what's going on and been going on for a very long time. It's not simple. What's going on in this country is, is incredibly complex, but it has to change. And Hey. A lot of people making a big row are going to make a change. Hey. Yes. I've got some good news. This is Roger. Well, go ahead. I want to hear good news. Okay. As you know, I've been working on this deal with the um, security instrument for some time. Yeah. Today, I finally got to a Secret Service agency and got to a... Security specialist. Okay, I found out a few things. In the 18 USC 474, it speaks stone, plates, banknotes, obligation, and security. Yeah. For execution purposes, obligations are treasury notes, which I didn't know. Maybe you did. Mm-hmm. Treasury notes are obligations. Okay. The most important thing, and I kind of kind of eased it in, was security instruments. And he explained there are two types of security instruments. There are the, the United States security instrument, and then there is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation security instrument. And I said, well, what you tell me then, the mortgages are, Paul, because they're used in the banking they are the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation security instruments. And they evidently didn't think, and he said, 
Oh, yeah, that's what they are. That's what they are. And I says, well, then, if somebody uses a copier to copy them, they're counterfeit. He said, well, yes, well, wait a minute. Uh-huh. He says, uh, uh, I will say yes, but he says this has to go to a federal uh, attorney, a U.S. attorney, or the attorney general for a definitive answer. And I says, you mean you won't give me an affidavit of facts and findings of law and, and put a uh, put an affidavit on it with a stamp? And he says, well, um, I uh, we're pretty busy right now with the election. He says, I'll give you my email address. And he says, uh, I can I can research it. He says, I'd be glad to research it for you in April. Okay, fine. But the door is open. He admittedly admits the fact that a security instrument from a from a mortgage that is a copy is counterfeit. Bingo. Yeah, but you gotta get a a, a legal determination and I think that's probably where you're gonna run into the problem, very honestly. I mean I know where you're going. You know you know I understand this very well because of certain documents that were put together wow, a few Dave, years ago. Even I understand that one. Are you proud yeah. of me? Yeah, very good, Terry. <laughs> Which side of the brain did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but like I said, Roger, I, I think the the sticky wicket is going to be to get somebody official with the government stamp on. And I hope you, I hope the door is open to where you can get in there and get somebody to wake up. But the thing is, I I think they understand what's what's happened, and they've turned a blind eye to it, and they're not going to enforce it because it would take the system down. Well, I think I think there's another angle to look at. I think that we can get a facts and findings of law affidavit from some of the top legal minds out of school law. Well, it's got to be somebody out of the courts. You can't get findings of fact and conclusions of law from anybody but the judiciary. That's going to mean anything. Right. That'll hold. That'll hold water. Mm-hmm. That's think we should go to the law to the law schools such as Notre Dame and so on. Well, but like I say though, it's not a matter of the it has to come from the judiciary and that's where I think the problem is going to lie that you're not going to have anybody do that. That's uh, as much as I'd love to see it happen, uh that would be tantamount to uh Judge Mahoney uh, all over again from the Credit River decision in uh, uh, Credit River Township, Minnesota, where he ruled against the banks and said they created money out of thin air, and six weeks later he was dead. Horizontal, permanently. Yeah. Well, yeah I'm, 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 versus Massachusetts. What about Massachusetts? Ibanez. Read it. Oh, it, but... That's that, that still doesn't address that issue, and not head on. You know, I I, I mean I, I I'm not trying to throw cold water on you. I'm just looking at it from a, a perspective of what I know about them and the law. And I mean, if you've got an open door, any place that you can get something in there, go for it. I mean, uh, <laughs> carefully. Absolutely. Well, I. I just think that there's there's a question that has to be answered. Is it is it is it a 
security instrument or is it not? I mean, on the mortgage, it says around the front page seven, eight times. Well, it is. I mean, we know that. That's established fact. It is. But, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you have an in with the uh, clerks uh, in the federal courts in this country. I'm not going to uh, mention any names, but uh, I, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and you you had discussions with her, and, and there was a whole flurry of activity that happened a few years ago when you brought that stuff to light. Yes. But that still didn't, uh, one of the problems with that was I don't believe it ever filtered down into the state courts like it should have. No, no, it hasn't. You, you, have, you have watched my video, haven't you? Uh, which one are you talking about? The YouTube, uh, Tanner and Bell and Bounty Hunter magazine. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I watched that. Absolutely. We're getting some interesting comments on it. Well, good. You should. There's a, there's a whole lot more rocks to turn over out there. But, you know, one of the things like we were talking about is, you know, why everybody is so uh, after Donald Trump. And, I mean, Donald Trump is getting uh, crap from all directions. Well, why he's is dangerous. that? Well, he's, he's dangerous to the status quo is right. what the whole problem is. The status quo is all the same group of people. Right. They can't control him. One thing that Terry said there makes sense, and then Trump was already... I don't know if you heard it or not. He has the answer. She's talking about the economy. Trump made the comment a couple nights ago. He was, uh, I think he was in Maine. And he said that the the uh, former president of, of Mexico, he has a bomb word on him. He says, but the, he said those Mexican, he said Mexico's going to pay for the wall. And he said, I'll tell you how they're going to do it. He says American companies have went down there because they get cheaper labor and they ship the stuff back into the United States, making more profits. He says we can fix that real quick. He says that fifty-eight billion dollar deficit will go away as soon as we put a thirty percent tariff on those imports. He said those companies will come back to the United States. He says then we'll get more employers. Well, that's just like Ford Motor Company. They're going to build a great big plant down there, and then they want to ship all the cars back here. He's saying put a uh, 25 to 30% tariff on those cars. Well, then all of a sudden they'll rethink uh, building a plant in Mexico. They'll build it here. Well, There'll be jobs here. Right, because it's it's anti-productive and anti-to-profit if they cannot afford to sell the end result that they produce so cheap in this country, they have cut off their nose to spite their face in that instance. And we could have reversed all of this outsourcing and companies moving out of the country had that been done some time ago. That's all it takes. Starting 20 years ago. Yeah, is is to put a tariff, just as he said, which, you know, the, the president has the power to get done, well, that's put what NAFTA a, was all about, was opening yeah, everything up. Put a steep tariff 
on the products they want to create elsewhere and make all their money off the American people's pocketbooks. Well, there's going to be a lot of changes. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the political landscape, uh, you know, goes. I don't want to get into a big, long discussion about political stuff here because that's not what we're here for. But, um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't care for politics. Uh, I don't spend much time on it. I do keep an ear for, you know, what's going on with uh, things uh, with Bernie Sanders stirring the pot with Hillary. Of course, he's never going to get anywhere because there are too many stupid people that call themselves Democrats that will uh, that can't think past the end of their lips, much less the end of their nose. And uh, they, uh, uh, they're they going to vote for Hillary. They have no idea what the, history, the true history is of Hillary. And wow. if they did, got, they, they'd be in the streets uh, ask, uh, telling the government to arrest her. I'm telling you what, I, I do not recognize any woman as an official member of my fair sex who would vote for that disgusting woman just for the fact that she's a woman. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. And, and uh, this year of political uh, activities is heightened because of an increasingly negative social mood. And that's one of the things that's bringing us on, and we're just getting started into the negative social mood, everybody. Uh, and that's all going to transfer uh, into the stock market, along with other things. And you know, we've talked about that. I've mentioned to you, I'm a trader, and uh, things are, you know, they're they're going the wrong direction for anybody that thinks they're going to make money in the uh, in the markets. You know, the uh, the Dow Jones futures right now are down 66 points at night. They've uh, they flopped down, and I did real good because I expected that. But uh, anyway, we're gonna go on to any other good news that we got. Thank you, Roger, for uh, uh, what you got there, and, and good luck on that. I I hope that does open some doors where uh, where you can find something. But I I really have my serious doubts because I don't. I, somebody'd be putting their neck on the chopping block if they were to to actually make a legal determination on that. And I don't think there's any federal judges that are going to put themselves in that position. They're too aware of the upheaval in this country and the fraud. They know about the fraud. It's just until, that they're until, not going to do anything about it because they value their lives. Until possibly after the election, things could No, they won't even them. do it after that. They value their lives. That's because true. anybody, that, you know, like I said, Judge Mahoney, and if anybody wants to read about that, look up Google the Credit River decision, Credit River Township, Minnesota. It's a very, very interesting read. You'll find stuff out there about the trial. They talked about, you know, this this guy went into court. They tried to sue him for foreclosure, and he said, well, you didn't loan me any money. You just created money out of thin air, and they had the trial, and the bank actually admitted it, and the judge ruled against him. And six weeks later, Judge Mahoney was dead. But it's it's a very interesting read for you to read some of the stuff because if you understand the financial system, the way it really works with the creation of money out of thin air, there's a perfect example. But this was a local court, so it has no precedence and can't be used anywhere in a foreclosure or anything else. So uh, I remember when I was starting in my education about things, I came across that and I thought, oh my God, what a find, until I realized that it has no precedence because it was just a local yokel court, and it never went anywhere. And uh, but it's interesting reading. Life. Yeah, it's very interesting reading. 
So anyway, I want to see if anybody else has got any good news for us tonight. No other good news? Well, then. Well, we're already into hot weather. That's good news. <laughs> About a week from now or a little more, we're supposed to be in the mid-80s. So spring has sprung in Dallas. Everything has just gone absolutely berserk around here. I mean, I worked outside all day today, and I got a lot done. I worked inside all day today, although I did sneak out to get a bite to eat and get a brush of fresh air this afternoon before the rain came in. We've got severe storms coming. So... Uh, I think I'll be okay for the call tonight, but anyway. All right. We don't have any other good news. Anybody uh, bringing anything up? So I'm going to say if anybody has a question or a comment that they would like to bring up, hit star eight. Please have yourself muted with star six first. And uh, if you'll hit star eight, that'll put you in the queue. And we'll take people in the order that they raise their hands. Now, I've noticed lately that we haven't had as many people asking questions. And we even had that situation on Terry's call last mm-hmm. week. And uh, one of the very rare times that uh, Terry was able to uh, uh, end her call a little bit early. And I want to tell everybody, I want to make a point of telling you, I've been doing this call for almost seven years. And I don't get paid for this. Nope. I've donated my time, Terry and John and Jeff, and even sometimes attorneys that have been on have donated their time to help all of you out there. Uh, I'm still going to keep doing the calls. But the whole idea of having our knowledge available to you guys, and, and when I say our knowledge, that doesn't mean, oh, well, wow, we're the experts. We know it all. No, 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 no. Chances are we probably know more than most of you out there because most of you out there have never litigated in federal court. Many of you probably haven't even litigated in state court. All of us are litigators in federal court, some of us to a larger degree than others. And obviously, we learn from doing that. We learn from studying so that we can do that. And we make ourselves available to you guys to share the knowledge that we have simply because we feel you guys should know about it. But, you know, we need to hear from you in the form of questions so that we are giving information that you specifically need. We can sit here and make noise and chatter for two hours, but that doesn't mean that you get answers to questions that you may have. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, to just make noise and occupy time. I've got a lot of research. I've got a bunch of reading I would like to do. And if I wasn't on this call, I'd be reading. I would be studying. I would be learning. And that's what I hope you come on this call for is to learn. And the way you do it is either to listen to the discussions about other people's situations or the various topics that we bring up. But specifically to you in your situations, obviously, if you don't ask questions, then it's potluck on whether we happen to touch on what you're dealing with. And potluck isn't going to get you where you need to be if you're dealing with litigation. I know that all too well. But uh, it's it, it's kind of concerning me the fact that we've got people that are not asking questions, that are uh, basically sitting back 
and just listening. They're not participating. And I know we've got a lot of people. We've got uh, Central Michigan on here, and that's somebody that's been involved and been listening for years. And uh, I know those individuals, and I know they're very knowledgeable. But I know there's other people that are on this call that have a lot that they could learn. And why they don't ask questions absolutely leaves me speechless. But uh, uh, if we're not going to get the uh, the questions from people, I think what I may start doing <clears throat> is uh, uh, basically going back to uh, education, start, hour. education hour and starting in with uh, certain subjects and finding material that uh, a lot of people maybe in some cases wouldn't think about going and finding, they wouldn't know that might be out there to find. Um, there's things that I stumble onto that uh, uh, there's other things that I've got that I've got so much material I'd have to go back and I could find a ton of things to go over in the uh, archive of material I have. One of the ones that I, I read last year was Woe Unto You Lawyers <clears throat> by Fred Roden, who was a Yale professor, and that was written back in 1937. And that in itself was an expose on exactly what the law is. And a lot of people don't understand what the law is. A lot of people think the law is something you find in a book at the law library. Well, actually, it's not, very simply. And if you really want to understand what the law is, you need to go and Google Woe Unto You Lawyers by Fred Roden, R-O-D-E-N, and read it. And I know for some of you that could be kind of convoluted reading it, like, what? What does it say? You've got to go back and read some of this stuff a couple times. But it's a, a tremendous resource. If you're serious about learning what the law is, and you notice I emphasize the law, uh, if you're really interested in understanding what that is, that book will be a fabulous primer, and it will give you a real good look at what the law is, because it isn't what I ever thought it was in the beginning. And I can guarantee you it isn't what most of you think it is. But the bottom line is, if you don't understand the law, then how can you work with it? How can you be effective in going after somebody? How can you be effective in standing up for your rights if you don't even understand the law? You may think that a statute like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act or the Fair Credit Reporting Act or the Telephone Consumer Protection Act is the law. Nope. It most certainly is not. And I know there's going to be some people that are going to be confused by that. And I'm not going to try and sort it out here. I'm going to direct you right back to Woe unto you, lawyers. And keep in mind that this was written a very long time ago, in 1937. 
by a Yale professor who was a lawyer. And just by the name of the the publication, you can guess that he probably wasn't real complimentary of it, but he was a law professor at Yale. And Yale, I think as most of you know, isn't any fly-by-night educational institution. Maybe some of the stuff they do is fly-by-night, but... uh, you know, reputation-wise, they've been around for eh, a while. But the bottom line is, if you don't understand what you're dealing with, how can you deal with it? I mean, that's just like going out and, oh, well, gee, somebody's got a piece of uranium. Well, how come it's in this can thing? Let me open this up and look at this, see what it looks like. Hmm. Does it work for you to open up a container of uranium? How does that work for you? How long do you think it would take for the radiation to kill you? But you might do that if somebody handed you something like that and you didn't know anything about it and know that, oh, my God, I can't open that up. The radioactivity will kill me. Chernobyl all over again in my neighborhood. So when it comes to the law, uh, it's time to wake up people and, you know, There's people like Donald Trump that are out here trying to wake up this country. And one of the reasons why Donald Trump is having this success and bringing people in and getting people interested is because he is just, just very simply, he's talking about what many people in this country have talked about behind their closed doors, with their friends, with their relatives, with their acquaintances, with their business associates, about what's wrong with this country. He is saying the things that the politicians won't say. And there's going to be a lot of upheaval, because even if Donald Trump doesn't end up getting a shot at the the presidential election, There's going to be other people that come behind him because the American public is getting energized. The voter registration in this country is going bonkers. There are people that haven't voted in a very long time that are going and registering to vote for one reason, because Donald John Trump is stirring the pot. And he's bringing all of this stuff that everybody's been so dissatisfied with. But all they do is gripe to themselves or their neighbors or their friends about it. They're not doing anything. It started everybody. The change, the big change, the necessary change in this country has started. And he's the visible catalyst of it. But you better understand what's going on with the law and dealing with things as things start coming unraveled in this country. Because many of you that are listening, you may be in a position right now where, well, you don't have any debt issues. You know, maybe you think these calls are interesting. Wow, you know, it's really kind of interesting the way the courts work and this and that and the other thing. You guys think you're safe. You know, you got your job. You can pay your credit card payments every month. You can pay your car payments every month. You're not in danger of losing your job. Really? Really think you can't be affected? I really thought when I had 15 years in with International Harvester <clears throat> that 
I would work there for 30 years. And I'd have a nice retirement. And I'd be retired in my very early 50s. I would have been retired <clears throat> with a full pension at 52 years of age. And I was in the second highest pay scale in the plant where I worked, the farm oil plant in Rock Island, Illinois. And then one Thursday morning at 11 o'clock, I heard that the agricultural division of International Harvester had been sold to Teneco. And the plant where I worked for 15 years would close. Nobody said a word about it. There was nothing said to us that there were negotiations on to possibly sell a company. Nothing. Your nice, comfy situation can disappear that quickly. It can be changed immeasurably by a drop in the stock market in one day of seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand points where it doesn't bounce back. And one of the reasons that that stock market dives so much is because a certain company's stock virtually became almost worthless in one day. Oh, and that might be a company that you work for. Nobody that worked at Enron ever thought that would happen. Nobody that worked at Tyco would never think that the stuff that happened with Tyco would ever happen. Just like I never thought that a plant for International Harvester that had been operating since the 1920s making one of the best agricultural lines of equipment produced would literally disappear out from underneath me. And with the economy imploding like it is, don't think you're so safe and so secure in what you're doing because with what's coming in this country and on this planet, and this is worldwide, everybody, it's not just here, with what's coming, your life situation's in jeopardy and you very possibly could find yourself in a position where, oh my God, I never thought I'd lose my job. I never thought the company would go bankrupt. But all of a sudden it happened, and then you can't pay your bills. And then guess what? You've got the likes of Midland and many other companies coming after you. And you never expected it. You never, you know, everybody always thinks, oh, it can't happen to me. Well, believe me, it does. And the next five years in this country are going to be so different than most of you even begin to realize. And it's not going to happen literally overnight. It's going to be a gradual process. But it's going to accelerate and it's going to grind and grind and grind and grind and grind until people are going, oh, my God, I can't believe things are this bad. I never thought things could get this bad. I remember back when, da 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 da, da. I remember when the Dow was at 18,000. The Dow closed today at 5,800. There's nothing okay. left of the stock market. It's almost gone. My 401K is gone. It's a point three k now. <laughs> My, it's a house. You know, this house, David. No, well, 
not right at the moment, and that's why I'm taking a little time to talk about yeah, it. As long as people aren't going to ask raise questions. Your hands up and then yeah. drop them. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, that's all right. we got time. Oh, I'm sorry, I was I, muted, but you might want to touch on the fact that very soon now we're going to see them adopt negative interest rates. You're going to be forced to give your money and keep your money in the bank because you won't be able to use cash, and then you are going to pay the bank interest for your money being in there. They're trying to force everybody to spend. Well, it's it's already uh, – that's already affecting uh, – it's already in effect in, in countries right now, currently. I just read something yesterday. Uh, it's our, that's already in effect in countries with populations of uh, almost 600 million people. Yep. Okay. Now, that's just the start. You say, well, they can't do that. I'll just pull my, my money out of the bank. Okay. All right. But what about if you're banking at Chase and they say that, well, you're only allowed to withdraw thousand dollars it's coming right things are going to be changing you have most people out there you guys that don't keep up with the financial markets i keep up with the financial markets because i trade the financial markets i don't but i rely on dave to tell me yeah. <laughs> uh, jesse trades i trade actively i day trade i have to know what's going on like tonight the dow is down and Treasury bonds are going up. Now, what happens when Treasury bonds go up? That means interest rates come down. And it's like, everybody's like, oh, all right, that's good. But the bonds are only going to go up so far, and then the bonds are going to start going down, and then interest rates are going to go up. So if you happen to be one of those people that's uh, borrowing money, your cost of the money is going to increase. And not real far ahead you're going to have a real difficult time getting along. I'll tell you what, I think this is the worst time in history. Actually, debt is always a bad idea. Absolutely yeah. a bad idea. It was always a bad idea. It will always be a bad idea. But this is the worst time in American history ever well, well, to put yourself be, in because, debt. Yeah, well, that's because there's more debt now in the world today. No, the I, world. The, no I don't, the I'm not saying time. just in this country than ever before. I was talking about the worst time to even consider putting yourself in debt. What you, if you are in debt, what you need to be thinking about first and foremost is how to solve Get that. Get out of it and do not engage in any more. We have to go back to what our great-grandparents said. If you can't afford it, you don't need it. And if you really think you do, then you need to save up and purchase it. Right. It, it's very simple. It, it, it's a culture in, in the world, not just this country. The culture of the world is, and Greece was such a fabulous example of it. You talk about living above their means. Yeah. I mean, the, the Greeks, they wanted the good life, and, you know, they only wanted to work part-time. Of course, if you want to talk about part-time work, uh, look at the French. They're, they're good for that. But, but either way, uh, the bottom line is there, there there are huge changes coming, and they're not for the good, and they're not going to be short-lived. It's not going to be like 2008. You know, things start going down the hill in late 2007. Eight's a bad year, and in March of 2009, the stock market turns and rockets up even higher than it was in 2007. That's not going to happen. 
No. This time, the market drop is going to be, well, let's put it this way. Comparison-wise, uh, it's going to make uh, 2008 look like a warm-up drill. This time, we're going to get serious. But the most serious part of it is going to be the fact that there isn't going to be that V bottom where it turns and then takes off like a rocket again and everything supposedly starts getting good because things have never gotten good after that. No. Now, sure, you know, a lot of you people have still got jobs. That's great. Talk to me about that in two years. Because I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of you that won't have jobs in two years. Not everybody's going to lose their jobs, obviously. But things are going to change. You know, they talk about uh, all the... You know, the unemployment is low. What a lot of people don't understand is that uh, in where it really started to change was in the uh, Clinton administration, the fudging of all the uh, economic numbers. You, you cannot believe any of the economic statistics that the government puts out. That all started, that fraud started in the Clinton administration. How do you think he made things look like they were so good while he was in office? Yep. If you bend the numbers, if you're not telling the truth, well, you know, they didn't, he hasn't become known as Slick Willie for doing everything good. But <laughs> but the bottom line is you have to understand that these these types of things that are going on weren't things that were just happening at, back in that point in time. That's where it started. It continues today. Um, it, the... There is no semblance of truth in what the government presents to the people of this country. I mean, all you got to do is look at the debt load. But the, uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that the private debt that is out here in the world, and here again, I'm, I'm talking globally. I'm not just talking this country because we're a, a global uh, economy now. We're not like we were 20 30, 40 years ago. We are very much a global economy, whether you like it or not. And things are totally different, but the private debt that is out there, and when I say private debt, that's debt uh, outside of government. Private debt is staggering. It is absolutely staggering. You know, Many of you may be aware of the, the figures for the uh, government debt. What is it? Uh, there's about a $17 trillion deficit the U.S. has right now. I think it's closer to 19 now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's in the upper teens. Global private debt is in the hundreds of trillions. There isn't even that much... Um, you know, I, and I know that most people don't understand this. Okay, there isn't that much in assets on this entire planet in the ground and out of it. Well, well uh, of course, but it's it's all a matter of who is willing to take on what kind of risk to get something. One person has something to sell, the other is the buyer. Uh, one of the things that's starting to come unraveled, which is really interesting over the last couple of years, and uh, for the uh, uh, money managers and institutions and hedge fund people to um, get yield, make money on their money that they had to invest, 
they started buying what are called cocoa bonds, COCO. And the essence is on those bonds, the, uh, they're issued, and if a bank, you know, the banks issued these, if a bank gets into trouble, the, the whole thing about it is they can quit paying interest, but they don't go into default. Yeah. Isn't that handy? It's built right into the contract. Now, let's say you bought $10 billion. You're a, you're a fund, and you bought $10 billion worth of these bonds because you wanted this return, and they offered some pretty healthy returns on this. You know, Some of them are up around uh, yielding about 8%. All right, so you invest $10 billion, and you're getting $800 million a year. And that's all fine and wonderful, you know, because you've got, you've got to have that cash flow uh, for your investors. They want to return on their money. You know, they want their dividends and so on and so forth. And then, of course, you're going to take your fees out of that. Well, what happens when things get tough? All they have to do is when they reach a certain threshold – which is all set out in these because this is all contractual, they can stop paying uh, the interest. But they're not in default. So nobody can force them to back out or sell and, and get out you know, uh, at, at a certain time and cut the losses. What it means is that all of a sudden you stop getting your payments okay well then the next step is if things get worse they convert your bonds to equity okay now if you don't know what equity is that means an ownership interest okay you're automatically without your say so Somebody needs to mute their phone because we're getting a echo in here. Everybody needs to mute. Hit star six on your phones so we're not getting this feedback. Thank you. But what happens is, you know, how, how does it ever reach the point where you get to that? It's because things are deteriorating economically. Your institution's in bad shape. And then those people that bought the bonds have their bonds, first of all, they lost their cash flow, and then their bonds say, oh, well, instead of us owning bonds, we now have equity. We, we take an ownership interest in your company. Oh, but it's a failing company. So what do you think those bonds are worth? What do you think you're going to get back out of that money? There's trillions of dollars of this stuff out here. This is the kind of stuff that's going to be coming home to roost, everybody. The QE, the quantitative easing, the creation of money that all these central banks have done for all these years have done nothing except bloat the debt chest. It's a, been a monumental experiment that's an utter failure. And the, the world as a whole is going to pay the price. And a lot of this stuff, not all of it by any means, because a lot of it was, came out of London, 
and there's Deutsche Bank, Germany, is one of the big, 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 big trouble spots in Europe. But you have a tremendous amount of the stuff that came out of London and out of New York. And where it originated is where the pain is going to be felt. So this is what's coming down the pike, and it's coming faster than you may realize. Everybody might look at the TV at night. Oh, wow, the Dow was up 312 points today. The Dow Jones futures went down to 15,360. And today they hit 17,080. But now tonight, we've already been down 91 points. And this is the beginning of the turnaround. Nothing is going to go screaming down or up for a longer period of time. If you own stocks, my best suggestion to you is you better think twice about it. Because if you own stocks today that are worth $50, three, four, or five years from now, those stocks aren't going to be worth $50. They're going to be worth a fraction of that. You know, and, and those people that buy stocks that think about, well, you know, I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. Dave's a trader. That's right. I'm a trader. I'm not stupid enough to be a long-term investor the way the banks run the world. That's a fallacy. You know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, well, you know, look how, look how well Warren Buffett has done. You know, Berkshire Hathaway, boy, he's done great. He's done really great. Well, let me tell you something about Berkshire Hathaway. I'm bringing up a chart of it right now just so that I can uh, uh, mention a few things. Berkshire Hathaway Class A stock is one of the most expensive stocks out there. In on uh, <clears throat> December eighth of fourteen, just a little over a year ago, that stock hit its high of two hundred and twenty nine thousand three hundred and seventy four dollars a share, almost two hundred and thirty thousand. January of this year, it was at 187000 Now, it's just rebounded. The crazies are in there. It's up to 208500 No, Now, get that. Just from January to right now, first week of March, it's gone from 187000 to 208000 How quick do you think it'll go back down? If you knew what I knew, or what I know, you'd know that it's going down a lot further. But these people, oh, well, yeah, well, it's going to come up. It'll come back up. Sure it does. You aren't going to see a day in in the next 20 years that Berkshire Hathaway stock is $218,000 a share, or 228000 
it's going to be a lot lower than that. But it's all relative. You know, I know most of you don't have enough money to buy Berkshire Hathaway stock, nor do I. I don't own any stock. I wouldn't own stock on a bet. That's why I trade. But I've spent 20 years learning to trade. But I, I'm trying to impress upon you guys that you need to take defensive measures. And I will tell you that cash in your hand, not in a bank, is going to be one of the most important things that you can have over the next few years. And I know there's some of you out there that's oh I'm you know I'm buying gold. I'm buying I'm buying all the gold. I'm putting all my money in gold. I'm putting all my money in silver. That's not a good idea if you're an investor. Because let me look at another chart here and I'll tell you exactly where gold is right now. Gold futures are at $1,266.50. That's the price of gold. Now it's 80 cents. 90 cents. 1267, 67.10, 20. That's how quickly things change. This is just in a few seconds here. It changed better than half a dollar. Okay? This stuff goes up and it goes down. Right now, we have the gold market going up after it went down for how long? I mean, uh, you know, we reached our low in December on gold for for the time being at $1,045.40. And day before yesterday, well, uh, not uh, the trading day last Thursday, it hit $1,280. $1,280 from 1064 That's up over $200 an ounce. But do you think it's going to keep on going up? No. It's probably going to go up some more from where it is. It might go up hmm, 14 $1,500 in that area. But in the next five years, somewhere along in there, you're going to see gold well under $1,000 an ounce. So if you're buying at $1,200 an ounce now, how are you going to feel if if gold's down about 750, probably not a good time to buy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't. I'm not into uh, buy high and sell low. That's not a good way to uh, come out ahead on things. And the reason I'm, I'm telling you some of this is because I've spent over 20 years studying and learning and trading in these financial markets, and I know most of you haven't. And that's how critical the situation is that you're dealing with right now, and this is how much your lives can change. There'll be a time to buy gold in the future. Now isn't it. This is not the time to buy gold, unless you're a trader. And if you can buy it now at about 1260 and maybe sell it at 14, 1450, 1500, well, you made some money. But you were trading. You weren't investing. There's a right time to invest in things, and there is a wrong time to invest. And the public, invariably, because of their lack of knowledge, is always in at the wrong place. That's why I'm trying to share a little bit of that knowledge that I've gained over 20 years. So um, be prepared. Cash is king. Real estate prices are going to come down. 
if you got a $100,000 house that you'd consider buying right now, okay, you got $100,000 in your pocket, you go buy that house and you go, wow, man, I own this piece of property. That's cool. That's my investment. What happens when four years from now that house is worth 50000 That's all anybody will pay for. That's the market. How good an investment did you make? Not too good. But what about if you got cash in your pocket and you keep it there? You don't go out and you buy. You don't go buy gold. You don't go out and buy a new car. You don't go out and buy that $100,000 home. And then four or five years from now, that home can be bought for 50000 bucks. But you still got your $100,000, even if you got no interest on it. Of course, you know, the banks aren't paying any interest on anything anyway. But if you got cash in your hand, then you're not paying the bank negative interest rates either, are you? You're not paying the bank to hold your money for you. So five years from now, you can buy that same house for fifty grand. Wow, man, you got the house, but you also got fifty grand in your pocket. Maybe you can go buy two houses and you can rent the other one. Simply because you waited till the right time. And, of course, if you had no clue about what was coming, then it would be just potluck. I'm giving you some clues. I'm taking advantage of this. I was planning on buying a home. But where we are, I was looking to do that several years ago. Where we are now, there's no way I'm going to buy a place. I will rent. And I can rent a nice place, and you say, oh, well, geez, rents are really high. Sure they are. But what do you think is going to happen to rents when property values come down? Do you think when property values are cut in half that the rents are going to stay where they are? Not hardly. Those rents are going to come down too. Because rent is always based on the value of a property and the return on someone's investment. So rents will come down. Think about some of these things. I encourage you to read uh, one book I've mentioned before on these calls that would be very good for many of you to read. If you have not heard me talk about it, go get a copy. You can get it on Amazon, very cheap, like 13 14 bucks. The Demographic Cliff by Harry S. Dent, Jr., Read that book, get the print copy, because it's got charts and stuff in there. And I know for many of you, financial stuff is kind of like reading Greek. But he explains a lot of things so that people can understand it, the lay person that maybe doesn't have a lot of knowledge in the financial side. You can understand what's coming. And he lays out the time factors, but more importantly, he'll lay out why it's happening and going to be happening. And when the times are, for you to be able to step in and when the times are that you need to step away and just be a spectator. And right now is a time to be a, a spectator. Unless you're very astute in what you're doing and knowledgeable, you don't have the tools to be able to navigate what's coming because it's going to get real ugly. And it could be very costly and it literally, I mean, if you make the wrong moves, you could literally be robbed of everything you got in the next four or five years. So don't think it can't happen to you. 
I've been through the deal with my job unexpectedly being lost. I went through a devastating divorce 10 years ago, and then we had uh, that happened in uh, 05, and then I had the follow up with everything from 07. My husband lost his job like that, and and the whole area of his trade just completely bottomed out like overnight. And that's one of the reasons we left Michigan. Well, the big thing is uh, that I want to impress upon all of you don't think it can't happen to you that you're comfortable and you're okay now because where you are today isn't necessarily where you'll be tomorrow. Now, I hope that everybody will do fine, but the reality is that everybody won't. There'll be a lot of people that won't. And those people that do have the unexpected things occur to them that have taken some time and made some preparations and been careful are going to fare through this very difficult time coming up far better than those people that didn't pay any attention. It's like, well, I ain't going to worry about it. Well, when you're trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from, you'll be worrying about it. But that'll be just a little, about a day late and a dollar short. So um, I hope I've given you guys a little bit of insight. I've talked about this before. It's important enough to talk about it again, and it is related to the debt issues because maybe you don't have debt issues today, but you surely could have them not long down the road with the way things are coming. And everybody's situation is different. Because it's not all in your happen to you. It's not all in your power. A lot used used to be in our power. There is a lot now that isn't. The financial stuff, you don't have any power over that at all. No. It's going to happen around. It's an illusion, isn't it, Dave? It's a wonderful illusion. All right. I'm going to say again, anybody that has questions, hit star eight, raise your hand, and we're going to go to Massachusetts. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Hi, Dave. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I'm still alive. Either that or somebody got on here and had a recording. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was uh, here in East Coast. It gets uh, it gets late very quick. It no. what? Gets late it gets very quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. We are on the East Coast, and he is in the Central. Yep. Yeah, and people who work really they have to sleep. Anyhow, here is my question. I have this uh, ready this uh, uh, FDCPA for uh, reporting a negative uh, trade line from against me, and um, I just wanted to make sure that uh, it's sixteen ninety two E eight, and is a compound uh, every every month is one uh, violation. Am I right? No, the the court recently handed down the decision that each time it is done is a separate and unique violation with its own statute of limitations, not that it's stackable. So what does it violate, Terry? Okay, I don't think you're understanding me. I'm not understanding it, true. Okay. 
the ruling was, and uh, I don't remember which violation it was, to tell you the truth, because I don't know the numbers in the FDCPA like I do the FCRA. So, you know, Dave and them are going to be better than that. But when there is an FDCPA violation in your credit report, okay, and we know that there can be, when that violation is repeated month after month after month, okay, they fail, for instance, they fail to investigate the uh, information they're reporting is totally false and bogus, then that is a collection action, which is, uh, what's the term, Jess and Dave, uh, deceptive and whatever. Okay. And they do that every month. Well, what the court ruled was each month that they do that is a whole new violation. So for purposes of the statute of limitation, you don't have to go back and only have one year from the first month they did it because each month they do it is a violation that has its own statute of limitations. So if, say, they violated in January of 2016 and they did it the whole year, all 12 months, you didn't get around to suing them until the middle of 2017, you can still do it on that violation because you don't have to go back to January of 2016. You only have to go back to half the year, June of 2016, and you're still within your year. It had to do with statute of limitations and the fact that those violations are separate and unique violations, but the court made no visitation even, no comment on and did not address whether or not each of those violations would carry a thousand dollar, you know, you could stack it. Well, that's my whole goal is to get a thousand dollars every month for every month that they're reporting negative trade line. So well, it's it all about money. Well, no, 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 wait a second. You got it. Are you talking about under FDCPA or FCRA? FDCPA. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I understand you. I understand you, Terry, very well now. I, yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, you may, you may, using that case where the court has recognized that it's an ongoing violation and each of those violations have their own SOL. Okay. There have been cases and I can't cite one off the top of my head. Maybe one of the other two can. There have been several cases. NCLC is a good place to look where stacking the courts actually have allowed the stacking of FDCPA violations because the court considered it to be egregious. Now, I would say if the court recognizes that that violation is a whole new one month after month after month, you dispute several times, but they just keep doing it 
the court may very well view that to be egregious enough to award the multiple uh, statutory amounts. But you would be the first to to try that temperature. Well, I, I remember Jesse telling us that if they keep reporting negative information every month, just uh, give them rope, you know, to hang themselves. So uh, I... It's well, time but for was me to he sue talking in six terms months. of FCRA or FDCPA? And he wasn't talking in terms of stacking, because here's the thing. For one thing, you have, when you have, let's say you have a year of them doing it, knowingly, willingly, and with malice, they just keep doing it, you know, and you've got a whole year, and each and every one of those is a separate FDCPA violation, okay, the one thing you're not going to do is you're not going to lose your FDCPA case because they have no defense. All right? So that 1000 that FDCPA violation and the $1,000 statutory damage for it is pretty much in stone because the more violations you have, the stronger your case, even if you are limited to only $1,000 per defendant and so on and so forth per case. Where you may have a chance to win at your argument is, and we got to go back to what I keep talking about, yeah. is how you laid your foundation. How many times during that 12 months did you dispute it? Give them the chance to clean up their act and fly right. right. Well, I your think, documentation. Yes, yeah, right. Terry, I think I, as you may know, the court has started since I since I got the first letter and I disputed the first time against uh, them, and I have disputed the uh, the trade lines three times in seven months, and always That's very comes, good. Uh, yeah. Always comes. I tried all your, um, you know, first time I disputed uh, the standard one. Then I got some lessons. We got some lessons from you. I did that. And the most recent one that was uh, in, in, in this uh, year, I tried that too. So none of them are doing any, uh, they are not changing mind. <laughs> it means it looks well, right. the but same to them. Is, yeah, it's, it, it is it's a computer. Establishing, it is yeah. establishing, though that you have bent over backwards to give them the opportunity to, as I said, straighten exactly. up and fly right. Right, right. I'm, I've given them all the you know, chances to, to correct it. So pretty much all my facts are lined, but I like in the bottom of my uh, complaint to count the money. I just love that. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, you just, you just hit my t my my funny bone when you said that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I I I don't hear people saying the the way I say it, but it looks like it's uh, kind of uh, fun to see the amount on the bottom, because really they reported in both uh, Experian and TransUnion, so six months in a row in each one of them, it's a. Uh, 12 times, 
and Massachusetts gives you a violation of uh, uh, invasion of privacy, 5,000 per credit pool, you know, this is fine. Well, no wonder you like that number then. Well, it's, that's why I like to have the, the, the bottom. I put the line on the bottom and I say all together, that's it. So I do. <laughs> so it's a big amount, and I'm thinking if if I can express very well this the uh, the uh, you know stacking thing, that's a good twelve thousand. You know, it's not really a joke. It's good. And if you can the, show the court, yeah, like I said in 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 that context, you know, you say to the court, look. I did everything I possibly could, <clears throat> excuse me, to get these people to be in compliance with the law and do what was right. And not only did they refuse, they deliberately set out to harm me. Willfully. Yeah. Willfully, on purpose. They hated me. I don't know why. They did it on purpose. There you go. And when the court sees that from your eyes, it's like I always say, the case is yours. Whether you have an attorney or not, it doesn't matter. It's not the court's case. It's not the defendant's case. It's nobody. It's not the attorney. It's yours. Okay? And at the end of the day, you bear the responsibility for one thing and one thing only, and that is that it is your job to see to it that the court can see that case through your eyes. Well, when I file my case, Terry, the court is in the final stage. I just expect the judge to do the right thing. He doesn't have any reason not to do because it's lined up everything nicely with exhibits, with all the you know facts and everything. So he, if he doesn't want to see it, that's a different story, but there's nothing to judge. It's only to see the bottom and say, this guy's looking for $28,000. Let's double it. Go 56. That's <laughs> Well, you know, everybody's entitled to their dreams. Well, say good luck with that one. Yeah, it makes sense what I'm saying. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you very much. And I wanted to come uh, give a comment to to Dave. Dave, uh, uh, I I heard your speech, almost all of it, even though I was not paying attention totally. But here's <laughs> yeah, he's, he's here's what I well, honest, isn't he? I know, but you you mentioned few things that are really not totally true, like the Greek people got lazy. Uh, you can't uh, say that. All the one people get lazy. Uh, and no, the people, people there yeah. all lived beyond their means. Pure uh, and simple. True. It's a documented it's fact. I have uh, I have friends and family that live in Greece, and they did the same. So for you to know one thing that you probably never lived in Europe. In Europe, nope. there's no credit easy as it is in America. For me, was a was a shock that. You can just apply and you get credit. In in Europe, you have to uh, have uh, equity. So it means to get a credit card, you have to be very rich, and the same bank is going to give you the credit card. Or you have to put down your house. Uh, that is, let's say, the house is fifty thousand, and they'll give you twenty thousand uh, uh, credit. So this is the first thing. 
what happened in Greece was they played the game they play here. So they gave easy credit and what with the Olympics first, and then they gave it to people. They were begging people to sign. So people that are mostly sheeple, you know, most of the people don't think anymore like we used to think in the old days, they signed. And here is the bank now causing the same game that they did in 1930s, 1933 or 1929, causing a crisis. So it's a planned and made by the banks. It's not the people. People are sheeple, uh, Dave. Are not right, but the, but the banks can't accomplish that if the people don't oh, enable oh, it. Oh, yes, and we have. yes they, they do it. They do it because they control the media, they control information, they control the politics and everything. And now what they do, they create a crisis. It's all, all artificial. There's nothing true about it. And the other thing I wanted to add, Dave, is really you cannot predict anything in the market today. Because a bunch of people, a handful of people, they drink a tea on Monday morning in London and they decide what to screw up this time and what to do this time. So let me tell you something. Well, it's pretty much I've like spent, that. Let me tell you something. I've spent 20, over 20 years studying the market. And I went on a hunt for something because I had two traders, two guys uh, probably about 20 years my senior, a little over 20 years ago, that told me something at a luncheon at a conference I went to. They told me there was a secret to the market because these guys made six figures a day over 20 years ago. And they didn't work for banks. They traded their own accounts. And I was just dumbfounded at how these guys could make this money. One guy was from Austria and one guy was from Switzerland. And they told me there was a secret to the markets. And, of course, wow, well, what's that? And they both told me the same thing. They said, if you want it bad enough, you'll find it. And I, I told them, I said, well, then you're not going to tell me what it is? And they said again, if you want it bad enough, you'll find it. Well, I evidently wanted it bad enough because I've spent tens of thousands of hours in the last 20-plus years, and I found it. I know how the markets work. So don't, you know, everybody talks about markets are random. You can't predict them. That's bull crap. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm not. No, no. I'm hang not, on a second. Hang I'm on not, a second. It's yeah, not yeah. just a couple of people that that do all this either. It's, it's far bigger than that. There's something far bigger than the human element that's involved in this. And I've got all the evidence in the world, which, you know, my my trading stuff uh, is proprietary. Uh, so I, I don't divulge this to people. But I I found the basis of it. Yeah, he, and, he don't and, even and, tell me, and I can't do anything with it. Dave, I really, I'm not, I don't know as much as you know, but I know a few simple things. Like, to be totally independent, you have to have your own house, farm, produce your food just in the old times. That is the safety bet. Any other thing with the market, with digits, with monitor and internet can disappear in a second. Because oh, yeah, it's really yeah. funny money. It's nothing that, well, if you, if you have, well, what do I say? If you have, well, there's nothing that you can have. It's the energy of the people that makes the money 
it's everything it's, it doesn't you know, make money it, it doesn't make money it's based, what it makes the economy what it is does, based on the well, energy of the people yeah it, it, it creates value it doesn't it create money value. the right. energy of the people creates value it doesn't create money there's a big right. difference between the two but you know we could get into uh, you know a, a tremendous know. discussion on this stuff but the, suffice it to say that um the markets are not freely traded no but it isn't controlled. controlled by a couple or couple three four people i can tell you that right now and i've got all the evidence necessary to uh, to show that but uh it, it, the bottom line is everybody needs to pull their horns in and become extremely defensive at this point in in the time on this planet because what's going on is planet wide it's not just the US it's not just Europe it's not just Asia uh, it's the whole entire financial system, I, and in, it's all in my inter, view, interlinked. In my view, Dave, is that it's really not a safe way to handle the situation, except having your own farm and your own house and your own water. Well, yeah, the but other, that's impractical for the majority of people. Yeah, I mean, ideally, yeah, that's that's a good thing to do. But it's that's impractical for you know, uh, for seven people. seven billion people on the face of this planet. Not everybody right. can do that. They're you know, people Here's, live in the cities, and you know. One last thing I wanted to say when you mentioned the debt, really, the question comes: Is debt to who? Have you ever thought about it? Of course, like I said, the majority of the debt out there is private debt. It's not government debt. Most people think that, oh my God, you know, <clears throat> the, the well, you know the who? U.S. Who? government debt is seventeen trillion. It really doesn't matter to who. It's a matter of whether it can be paid, and it can't. No, no, no. That's what the question to pay pay to who? Who is the the guy who you have it's, to pay? It, it's it, it's all intertwined. All of these derivatives that yeah. were created. <clears throat> There's bets on on bets on bets on bets on yeah. bets on bets and on bets. Yeah. So and, where do they um, get the money from? It's all on paper. It's, it's all. Not, it's all it's not even on digits. paper. It's just yeah. zeros it's, and it, algorithms it, it, and digits yeah, on it, a it's, computer. It's, yeah, it's digits. You know, it's represented with documents on paper with zeros. But the, in essence, all it is, is is computers. But the thing is, there's one side that's going to be uh, wanting money from another party, and the other party doesn't have it. And then that's a ch is going to be just part of a very long chain reaction. And all it takes is one place for the default to start, and it doesn't matter why. When somebody can't fulfill an obligation that they made, that's when the feces hits the fan. And because all these things are interlinked, it's going to travel very, very, very rapidly. That's what happened to Lehman. That's what happened to AIG. Only the, the next the time there is, they, there is going to be any bailouts. The decision of those two banks to go was probably taken behind no, it's, it's, the door. It's not just banks. Yeah, it's not because just it's banks. Really, 
yeah, it's it's really very easy to save them. Just a bail, a bailout, boom. It's a piece, no. piece of no, paper. No, it isn't very easy to say uh, to, to it save. Is. There is it there is. there isn't going to be any more bailouts. It it's going to be. It, it's happening every day. We don't know. Anyhow, uh, good night. I disagree uh, with you, but we're not we're not going to. Uh, I don't want to uh, get involved in any more of that kind of stuff. I disagree with you entirely. Okay. Have a good night. Thank you very much, and uh, um, hear you tomorrow. All righty. Uh, bye. Thank Have you. a good night. Okay. Who else has got questions for us tonight? Star eight. That's how you put yourself in the queue. Yeah, it's really interesting, Terry. It's. Uh, I think. I think there's a lot of people that are in transition right now because of the lack of questions. I've been thinking about this. The, what the do question, you mean in, in transition? The, the part of the social mood, part of the social mood shift. The social I, mood I, shift is, is going negative. Okay, I agree with you there. Yeah. Well, it's factual. I, I, I get some very, very good information from people that uh, uh, have studied this for years and years and years and years. There's a conference in Florida in April. I've thought about going, but I'm not going to because I've got plenty of stuff on my plate here. But uh, uh, I think that's playing into what's happening here. But believe me, uh, months to come, we're going to have we're going to have plenty of people on here with questions because there's going to be a lot of people finding out that their situation isn't so rosy anymore. And with that said, I'm going to go to Northern Missouri and find out what their question is tonight. Good evening. How are you? Hello, Northern Missouri. I wonder if that was double wide. Maybe he's tied it. Well, we're doing anything. Anything? Oh, there, there you go. You muted yourself, <laughs> and now you unmuted yourself. You're playing with the buttons again. I had a feeling that was you. Well, you got the noodle out, and I, I had to double check myself. You <laughs> was yelling earlier when you was talking, and somebody was uh, doing the echo thing, and I, I well, I can triple mute. So, <laughs> well, whoever sure it was can... that was doing it before, they uh, they muted and it solved the problem. That's all that matters. Right. right. I, I uh, I do tend to make a lot of noise with what I do. I was, I'm always afraid I'm going to come across and then hear myself the next night on the on the call and go, oh my gosh, that was. <laughs> so, well, you know, if we have too much trouble with you, I'll just meet you. <laughs> you know, I know but, how to deal with people like you. <laughs> well, you, you do send me down the road quite a bit. So. Uh, yeah, uh, don't I though? <laughs> but. Uh, uh, What's got, going on tonight? Well, I've got uh, got this situation coming up, and I've listened to Terry's webinar twice, and I've taken pretty copious notes, but I've, I'm still kind of weirded out about the whole thing. I've got um, I've got I've got two quiet titles that I'm getting ready to file uh, on the notes that the bank had to present as a, what do you want to call it, a precursor to settlement. And institutions uh, precedent, if you, if you will, to the uh, settlement. Well, they they presented one note that was never transferred from Countrywide. My lender was America's wholesale lender on the note in the deed of trust, which we know never existed. Blah blah blah. Um, but Countrywide stamped one of these notes 
transferred uh, the order of and left it in blank, which is common. But they never put without recourse. So my question on that one would be, and that, I know that uh, maybe Jeff would be better at this, but it's it's uh, was that if it, if it was never transferred back to the trust because they kept the original documents, then the trust was never funded, then does that note become a nullity? Is that a done deal? Because Countrywide is now out of business. And I, I listened to the tutorials on the notes again on how they were supposed to, and how you're supposed to, the foreclosure bash. I've listened to all of that again. And um, so if the note was never transferred from Countrywide, they lose the power to do it now because they keep to exist. So, I guess well, how can something is, be transferred from or to a non-existent entity? Correct. So, what I'm looking at is I'm, I'm writing a letter to America's Net, uh, wholesale lender, which doesn't exist, never did, but I'm sending it to their address that's on on my deed of trust. I'm sending a letter uh, to QWR to. Um, Countrywide, which has folded, I'm sending a letter to Bank of America because apparently they had supposedly they had transferred that over. I'm sending a letter to the current servicer, but they've never divulged who the lender per se is. So I'm not sure who it is I'm supposed to send these letters to as far as the lender. Is that sufficient to go through those? including the current servicer, and challenge the assignments due to the fact that in 09, they, they, uh, what was it, the Dodd-Frank was saying that they had to alert me as to the new owner of the note, and if they didn't, then they're in violation. Is that a correct statement? My, my, is, is I think correct? so, but I think John is probably John? One, the best one to you know help sort that out for you. Okay. John, are, are, have you been catching this? I know he's on the call. He's, yeah, putting the Sorry, screen. I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> we can't hear you when you're muted and you're talking, John. <laughs> you mean if I'm snoring? <laughs> oh, oh, wow. What a testament to a good call. <laughs> I, heard, I heard my name called. Yeah. Yep. What's the question? Okay. Um, I'm going to be trying to file a quiet title on my properties. I have two of them that in settlement, I'll try and summarize this. They had to come up with the notes. Well, they came up with one note that was obviously a fabrication. It was, it was just blatant. And the other one, they had an affidavit saying that they couldn't find it, but they knew that they should have it, which I thought was hilarious. So uh, I'm going to be filing a quiet title. And I've been through the tutorials and everything. But I want to make sure that here's here's my situation. I've got I've got a QWR for America's Wholesale Lenders, which doesn't exist. I have a QWR for Countrywide, which is defunct. I have a QWR for Bank of America, who supposedly had taken over the uh, rights of the service, and I have a QWR for the current servicer. So those are a total of eight QWRs, one for each property I prepared. Now I know that. Two of them for sure, four of them are for sure going to come back. But my question is, 
that servicer who's dealing with it now, and it was a Fannie Mae, it's recorded in the MERS document as being a Fannie Mae, but when I go to Fannie Mae's website, they do not show any affiliation with the two notes or, or mortgages. So I've also got QWRs set up for Fannie Mae. Um, but my question is, shouldn't I have these letters going to the owners of the debt, the, the, the note holders? And if so, how would I find out who it actually is? Um, what do you think they have to do when you send them a QWR? I'm sorry, one more time? What do you think they have to do when you send them a QWR? Well, that's two of the three questions I have to deal with that specifically was who is the owner of the note, where, who's the custodian, who's the master custodian, and uh, where is it stored and things of that nature. So, uh, But there again, should I, should I, if, if I get that information, then follow up to the uh, entity that they divulge as being the owner of the note if they actually do? prior to filing the quiet title action? Why do you think the quiet title action is going to do anything if they tell you where the note is? Well, they presented the note. That was part of the settlement. It was the uh, uh, conditions proceeded to my settling out of court with the, with the lawsuit for the PCPA and FPCPA. So uh, prior to me taking a check from it, they had produced two notes which they did not. You settled out of court, though. For the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and the Telephone Consumer Practices Act. Yeah, but when you settle out of court, I mean, did you have something in there that says the court retained jurisdiction if they failed to comply with the settlement agreement? No, there was nothing like that. I was pro se okay, and so experienced first one. So when you do that, why did you expect them to even show you anything? Well, they did. I know, but there, there's no teeth in it when 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 you do that, and and I don't see how you've stretched from that to a quiet title action. Yeah, that uh, I've had a question ever since you were mentioning quiet title. You know, Jesse is cautioned about that because. Uh, there's very few people that really understand what's required to be right. successful in a quiet title action. And, right. and very honestly, I mean, as much as you studied, I don't think you, you know, because Jesse hasn't even done it on his own properties yet. He's getting ready to. Right. right. The question well, my, you're asking, sh you know, shows you're not ready to do this. What do you think the right. purpose of a quiet title action is? It's a quiet title to show that there's, there's no owner other than myself. I actually have an attorney that I'm working with, and he has kind of guided me, and he, he thinks I know more than I do. Um, but he's Are you been, paying him? Yeah, yeah. And I pay him uh, to do things for me in, in court. He's actually the one who sat with me and inspected the notes. I paid him to go sit with me and inspect the notes prior to my signing the um, settlement, and uh, whenever we walked out the hallway after he looked at it, he says, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, we need to do a quiet title. He said, that's obviously not, they obviously don't have any, any grounds to, to keep collecting money from you. Well, he's been, he's been an attorney for 
28 years now, and that's his mainstay. Is he, is his uh, quiet title suits. So he's been in the he's, he's done a lot of quiet titles. Yes, yes. And successfully. Yes, yes. For okay. the purpose that you're doing. I'm sorry. For the purpose that you're intending to do it. I'm trying to get the banks off uh, off the properties. No, that's not my question. For the the, the purpose of of you doing the the quiet title is the reason that he's doing it mostly for people, or is he doing normal quiet title actions that usually have to do with conveying deeds? He's actually he actually does uh, uh, foreclosure defenses, and one of the things that he advertised was quiet title action. Advertising and results are two different things. I mean, has right. he been able able to show you results? Because very few of these quiet title things are actually working out right now. Right. And if you screw it up, you're not going to have a second shot at it in the future. Right. If, if you've been able to fend the bank off and... Um, you're in your property and you don't intend to sell it, there's no reason to run to rush into a quiet title action. If you settled with the bank and then for FDCPA and then they're going to turn around and try to foreclose on you, um, try to sue them again for FDCPA when they, when they, sure. take, when they start to come at you again. But quiet, quiet title is in a defensive action that way it, it is something particular. The quiet title, the normal reason for that would be is Dave's going to sell his, his, his you know, cousin's house that he inherited to someone, and there's a cloud in the title that has to do with some relatives that in the past, you know, whether they're alive or not, they haven't been able to reach them. They might have a partial interest in the property, blah, blah, blah. So they do a legal action to quiet the title against all other claims. That's different than a lien that's recorded at the county courthouse. Correct. And just just because someone, you know, can't, at the moment, prove up that they own that lien. The lien's still there. They just haven't identified who the owner of that lien is. Correct. So the court isn't just going to waive it because you can't prove who the they can't prove who the owner of the lien is at the moment. Right. That's that's something you really need to be aware of because if you don't do it right, they're going to make that thing so ironclad you won't be able to get rid of it, and they're going to foreclose on you. I'm actually current on both notes, um, and this gentleman's this attorney's been helping me now since uh, 2012 with my mom's house when she passed. So we're still fighting off the banks on her property, uh, and successfully. So and, if and you're then, current, why are you fighting the bank? Why am I fighting the bank on the notes? Yeah, if you're current, you say you're current on both of them. I want to get rid of them. If they don't have the right to collect, I'd like to know who does. Well, if they don't have the right to collect, why are you still paying them? Because I want all my ducks in a row before I go in there with a big stick and start whacking them. That's why I filed the PCPA and the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act so they'd have to produce the notes so I could see them. Because I wanted to make sure I was right before I stopped paying. I want to start doing a strategic default on these properties and get it done. As soon as we get the letters wrote to the credit 
reporting uh, agencies into the banks or into the uh, financial institutions, PWRs, that's when we're going to go into strategic default. Okay. And but they've already shown you supposedly the notes, right? They show they showed me one note that was not what I signed. They had another note supposedly that the front page was there, but the second page was missing and there was an affidavit affidavit saying that uh they they know that the debt is true, that it, they actually own it. But they still couldn't tell me who the master who the owner of the note was, but I'm like, you got to know who the owner of the note is. Like, well, we're not going to tell you. I'm like, you got to be. Well, then, then, okay. So, you know, when you send a QWR, what law does that apply to? That's RESPA. So why don't you assume RESPA? That's true. Yeah. That's, you do uh, quiet. You do, five days you do, and thirty days. You do a quiet title action. You're going to be suing them under the wrong law. Okay. So go for rest of violations rather than a quiet title. Well, yeah, so, because you seem to want to know who owns the thing, or who right. allegedly owns it. So. It respas the law that's going to twist their arm with that, not a quiet title action. Okay. And uh, that is part of the QWR. It's the first thing it says under RESPA, blah, 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 blah. You have blah, 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 five days, 30 days to comply, and they actually have an explanation. That's for my benefit, not for theirs. They already know what they have to do. But that's for my benefit. I know exactly what I have to deal with. I get... The, all the laws that I study, it gets convoluted sometimes, and I I start mixing things up, especially when I start getting into killing rest and fair debt collection practice act and fair debt collection. I, I, sometimes I, I start mixing up 1692s and everything. So, too yeah, many numbers, still, too many letters. It has to do with the mandatory disclosures that they have to give you on the loan. Yeah. Uh, RESPA is the Settlement Act. That has to do with you know, and the reason you send a QWR is if you have a dispute with them over something, something specific. Because Correct. if you ask any questions, they consider it invasive, like you're doing discovery, and there is no lawsuit, and they don't have to answer that. But if you have a specific dispute question and you can lay it out, then they, that's what they have to ask. That's what you're going to prevail in a, in a lawsuit. And you just want them to have to come up with proving up whatever they're saying. Sure. Um, and, you know, they trade those things around a lot. So even though they may answer one day and say this company owns it, it could turn out that another one owns it a little further down the pike with the lawsuit. Sure. And so, you know, if it, it's interesting because you're you're doing all of this, but you haven't strategically defaulted. Right. Because if, really if they really thought they were screwing up, wouldn't you have defaulted already? Yeah, I've actually got a lot of other stuff, uh, a lot of stokes in the fire. I just closed on a house last week, and I'm looking to get three more. I don't want to take a chance of screwing up my, my credit right now. I'm laying out my retirement. And uh, uh, long story, boring. You realize if you default, you're going to destroy your credit. 
Absolutely. That's one of the reasons I have to uh, report to the or write to the credit uh, reporting agencies that these, these debts are in dispute. It doesn't matter even if they're listed on there in dispute. It's going to affect your. It's going to substantially affect your credit rating. Right. And right. if you've got other loans, you know, it's you can potentially, if you've bought other houses and stuff, you can put it all in jeopardy. It's kind of like an all-in thing. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I say. I just closed on one house last week, and I'm looking at trying to close on another one here within the next 30 days. So that would be uh, two under my belt that uh, I get hold. And I, I probably wouldn't need, really need any more properties after that. That would be enough. Uh, anyway. Uh, are you buying them cash or are you getting a mortgage? No, 25% down, but I'm getting pretty good rates on them for right now. I'm buying, my brother's a real estate agent, so we're buying them. Uh, this one particular house I just bought for $80,000. The houses in the neighborhood are comping out at 120 to $150. Uh, older lady put 25% down, so my payments are $400 a month. I can rent the property out for over a thousand for now. So even if the property values fall, I'll still be able to rent it for five hundred dollars, whatever, keep up the property. So uh, pretty good, pretty good deal on that. Uh, same, same plan for the next one. Ride the game, man. It's just a game. It's just a game. You got to ride the rails, and, and uh, you're right. But you got to be careful fun. of that uh, that quiet title stuff. I just yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we'll stick with the rest of the violations then, and force their hand to show what's up with that. Um, I'll wait to do the strategic until after we get the uh, all the letters sent out, get the rest rest of the violations in order, the documents all in order to to file for the rest of the violations until the rest of the violations. And um, I've still got my primary residence that I sent out a, a rescission on last last year in, in uh, uh, May. So that's going to be another whole bag of worms. I'm getting ready to open up see what we can get out of that after paying on that for 10 years. It'll be 11 now. So. Well, you got long, your hands full. Long yeah. just a game, buddy. It's just a yep. game. Well, just don't put yourself in a situation where you're overwhelmed with with different actions. Right. Okay. You you get more than two going at once, and uh, we've had a lot of people that have a hard time. Sure. Absolutely. That's why I like having friends in high places. I can call on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. We'll help if we can. Right on. Well, I'll jump, uh, jump back into the mute and uh, let somebody else bend your ear. Thank you, Okay. All righty. Have a good evening. Be safe out there on the road. Okay. We got three people left. We'll take these callers, and then we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Let's go to California. I had to mute you and unmute you to get you out of the queue. Go ahead. Hey, good evening, everybody. It's the Weehaw! And it's the Mac Attack. Oh, yeah, Mac the Knife, Mac Attack. I've been called a few other things, too, that we won't even mention here. But 
Yeah. Um, I just I just have a couple comments, and I want to make them quick so the other two callers can get on. Um, I was listening to the earlier part of the call, and I've told Je- uh, Jeff about this, but there's a book out called Spy the Lie. And you can get it on Amazon through as an Audible book, or you can get the paper copy. But um, it's a really interesting take on how to spot deception when people are talking through their through what they say and through their mannerisms. And as I was listening to it, I had all kinds of light bulb moments of thinking about being in court. And granted, it's nothing you can put into evidence or anything like that, but, it's an, it, but it just will kind of give you these clues that will kind of make your, your antenna stand up and think like, oh, you know, that, that was one of those things that they said in that book. And it was developed by these CIA um, polygraph analysts. And um, it's just a really interesting read for anybody in court or if you're watching the TV and you, you know, I've spotted Hillary through what she says being deceptive just from reading that book and listening to it. Um, just an interesting resource. Yeah, sounds interesting. And, uh, and All you have to do to spot her lying is wait for her to open her mouth. Well, yeah, because she's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I've yet to see her tell the truth, but, yeah, I I know what you mean, though. There was a... A TV show. Now, now, Jeff watched it. I think um, well, I, it's on Netflix. But there was a TV show. Oh, it was called Lie to Me. Yeah, he brings that up in the book. Yeah, and I learned a whole lot just watching that that series on on Netflix. I'm like, wow, that is fascinating on how you can pick up on when people are not necessarily trying to lie, but avoid being genuine, you know? Yeah. Exactly. All the mannerisms, eyes, eye movements, all sorts of stuff. Well, yeah, it was really fascinating. They do a couple different breakdowns of one of them was the, uh, they break down the press conference that Anthony Weiner gave where he, where he gave, I mean, literally they said they broke it all down in the audio book. And once you, I listened to it about seven or eight times, and now when the rare case that I do watch television or when I'm listening to the radio and say a lawyer's talking or some politician's talking and they say something, I immediately pick up on like, oh, that's something they said in the book is a signal of deceptive behavior. And I've caught, when I've been talking to lawyers on the phone, I pick it up there, and it's just an interesting way to kind of tune your brain to get, just give you a little bit of an edge of like, oh, they just said something. I better write that down. You know, just something weird that came on. And then my other comment was um, recently I've been looking at a lot of the uh, the blogs and the uh, the legal things that these lawyers put out that routinely represent the other side in debt collection and foreclosure. And the law blogs for the other side, and I've sent Jeff a couple of links to them, once you kind of get through the rhetoric and the BS, it's a really good way to see how the other side thinks. That's right. Yeah. Out, outside of court pleadings. And what, what will happen is that instead of um, being emotional about it, 
by reading them and kind of detaching yourself, you learn to think like a lawyer does. And, you know, granted, we all know lawyers lie anytime their mouths open or whatever, but the ability to think like a lawyer and to kind of think and see what they're actually going to do, because they'll tell you what, you know, oh, like, you know, you can't use these cases anymore, but try this one. So if you know that in advance, like, oh, well, I need to go get that case and figure it out and read it and see right. what the defects are. Be but, preemptive. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of it, too, and I don't know if any of you guys do this, is the more I read and study and read court cases and cross-reference, you truly have to learn to love the law. <laughs> yeah, I have found that rather than thinking like a lawyer, more and more lately, I think like a judge. That, well, yeah. And well, that's, that's how you have to think. Because yeah. who's the decision maker? Exactly. And, and our lawyer on the other side isn't the decision maker. Well, you've got think, you've got to understand and think like the like the judge, so that you know you can see through the BS. And and if you are more effective at presenting the the stuff that the the judge can actually understand. Rather than just the cloud of BS, smoke and mirrors, you're going to have a better chance of winning your arguments. Because the main question becomes that you should be asking yourself, and specifically, and especially if you get to the appeals court, okay, is you know your case better than anybody else because you lived it. Nobody can possibly know it as well as you, not an attorney, nobody else on the planet. But it's your job to make sure that the judges you're dealing with, multiple if it's an appeals court, singular if, uh, if it's district court, um, the question that you have to ask yourself is not just how can I make the court, the judge or panel of judges, see this case through my eyes, but the bigger question is what is it that I can give this court which will enable it to come to the correct ruling that I need. And that's, that's very correct. And I, I recently wrote to, um, I sent an email to Svetlana Ivanova, the woman that just won the huge Supreme Court case in California. Yeah. And she wrote back to me two very nice emails, and I sent her another one. But the one she sent back to me was she said, any chance I got, I put stuff into the record for judicial notice. And she said, whether they judicially noticed it or not, I didn't care. But yeah, I wanted I it either. Yeah, but I wanted it in there. And she said that she thinks the reason that the appellate court granted uh, – or the Supreme Court granted review to her appellate case was because she had four volumes of documents put in as evidence. And she just said, I didn't care if, if a good judge I knew would read it. And when he read it, he would put it back in his mind somewhere, and yeah. he would always have it. And she said, I wanted, I wanted to make sure that the judges knew what I knew. Whether right. they, uh, they formally acknowledge it right. or grant judicial notice is really um, 
neither here nor there. It's it's kind of irrelevant because and everybody knows the old Perry Mason shows and you know modern LA law and all, all these courtroom dramas and stuff. And how many times does uh, an attorney object? That's inadmissible. Blah blah blah. He can't say that. And the judge turns to the jury and says, "Strike that. Um, do not." Uh, do not use what this, you know, was said. You may not consider that information in reaching right. your decision. Right. right. Okay. Now, but what do we always say and is always true? You cannot unring a bell, no matter what bell it was, when it was rung, or by whom. You right. cannot unring it. So what is important is two things. Whether they accept judicial notice or not, it's on the docket. It's not going to leave the docket, okay? And it's in their minds. And even if they don't want to use that information that you forced in front of their eyes to weigh on a decision, it can't help but weigh on their thinking process subconsciously, whether they're aware of it or not. Right. And it, well, we got to keep moving here, guys. I'd, I'd yeah, no love sweat. to sit here and entertain more discussion on this, but uh, we're uh, already past the top of the hour, and we got two more people. I want to get them in. Yeah, no sweat. I'll mute out. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you, Weha. I appreciate uh, you bringing that up for us. As always, it's always great yeah, to have people that are doing that. Yes. All right, let's go to North Georgia. You are unmuted. Go ahead. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. All right, look, a quick question I have is that I, I've got uh, some TCPA calls from uh, the first quarter of uh, 2012. I know I'm getting very close to uh, the time of, uh, of, it, of it expiring. So right. as far as, like, my first action, okay, would that be if I – let's say, for instance, I, I, I misplaced the, the list of calls, but let's say if I find it in the next couple of days, when I send that first notice over to them, will that still keep me in that four years, or do I have to have What do you mean first, when you file? send that first notice over to them? I don't understand what you mean by that. Notice uh, of the, intent the to notice sue? Button. Notice of intent to sue, yes. No, that's not a legal okay. process. You have to file the lawsuit within gotcha. the day. And and I want, I want to make something real clear, a detail here that everybody mm-hmm. needs to know. If... The violation was on the 12th of March of 2012. You have Mm -hmm. to file suit by the 11th of March of this year. You can't file it on the same day thinking, oh, well, okay, that's within four years. No, you have to file it a day before that date. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I got you. Okay. Okay. All right. And I guess one more question. Uh, as far as like um, uh, when you're getting sued by a debt collector in court, I filed a motion to uh, dismiss the case based upon the fact of uh, no contract, uh, you know, being included and a few other things, you know, part of what uh, what John's uh, webinar is, uh, series is about. But I forgot to include the uh, notice of uh, di- of dispute. Um, 
they haven't set a, a court date yet. Is it, is it too late to go ahead and file that? No, no. You can file that notice of dispute at any time. It doesn't have to be done with the other stuff. It's just normally it's a good idea okay. to do it. But, no, you can go ahead and file okay. that. That's no problem. Okay. All right, great, great, great. All right, uh, that's all I have. I do have another court. Oh, one of as far as like the um, uh, if I want to do like a, a lawsuit against them for like the, the the calls and maybe like the reporting and their collection activity, what section of the uh, website do I go in again to uh, to look for that information? Taking their money. Taking their money section. That's us going after them and taking their money. Okay, that's what I have. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All righty. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to go to our last caller for tonight, and that is foreclose for me. You are up to bat. Go ahead. Hi, this is Maggie. Hi, um, I have just a couple of quick questions, I think. Um, I have a friend that has told me about she she took out a loan, one of those payday loans, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know the reason, but for some reason she didn't pay it back. So um, I guess they had been trying to call her for quite for about a month, and um, I don't know what they're doing now. The calls have stopped um, from what she's told me, but I. Just wonder is that if if they have violated any calls or anything is that under the um, the same category that we look at for collectors or is it something different because they're trying well, to collect their own? Well, you, you, it, there's different things that enter into it. Okay, is it the uh, original creditor that's trying to uh, collect it? You know, ABC Company, are they the ones that made the loan, or is it uh, XYZ uh, Collection Company calling for ABC? You know, Mm -hmm. um, it depends on whether it's a debt collector or whether it's the original creditor calling, all right? And actually, Mm -hmm. that gets into convoluted stuff for the payday lenders because the actual lender isn't usually the the place that does the... Payday loans, you know, you go down to, you know, Ace Cash Express. Well, yeah, Ace Cash Express good. doesn't, they don't actually make the loans. There's another company that makes them, but that, that gets into far more discussion. But then mm-hmm. uh, the thing is, the the phone calls that they're making, okay, are they, did she give them consent to call the number? And are they calling a cell? Are they calling a cell phone, or are they calling a landline? This is why you got to. This is why you need to learn the statutes so that you uh, you understand where violations occur. Because remember, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. That's about telephone calls. The right. Fair Debt Collection Practices Act is about debt collection. Just like you know, Fair Credit Reporting Act is about credit reporting. So. Each one of those, it, 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 in the name, it, it delineates where you need to be looking for information and, and what kind of stuff it covers. Okay. Does that help kind of separate it for you a little bit? Yeah, because I, I, in my mind, I didn't have it separated like that. So. 
Yeah, um, you, you, you yeah. got different statutes. You know, you got debt collection, you got credit reporting, you got telephone calls, Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So depending on what kind of activity is going on is where you go to that statute and then look for, you know, what are violations under that, what constitutes a violation, for instance, under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Well, who's subject to that? Usually an original creditor is not. There's a few cases where they are, but uh, usually it's just third-party debt collectors that are subject to that. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. these are the things you got to you got to kind of set each one of these statutes apart and, and look at the activity and see where it fits. Okay. All right, and and I would find those under um, taking their money, right? Uh, well, there's different sections in there that uh, cover the FCRA. There's an FDCPA uh-huh. section, and then there's the, you know, the TCPA takedown uh, covers the phone stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, spend a little time in there looking at the index on the very first page, and it's got the breakdown of the various areas in the website, and uh, you go from there. I mean, you know, a little bit of logical thinking can. Uh, help you figure out where to go. But, you know, do a little clicking around and looking and see what's where. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of material there. It really is. Okay. I will get in and do that then. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. You have a great evening. Thanks. You Thank you. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. I want to thank everybody that uh, joined us tonight. Thanks to the uh, other moderators, to Jeff, John, and Terry. Appreciate you guys being here and your input. And, uh, of course, tomorrow night is an open call. And then on Wednesday, for the members, we've also got a open Q&A with all the moderators at Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. But tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, Eastern Time is uh, open call. That's on blogtalkradio.com forward slash W-L-I-Y-D. And again, that starts at 8 o'clock Eastern. Then uh, Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, open Q&A. That's for members. That's a webinar. And then, of course, Terry has her call on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. If you're not on her email list, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list, and she'll get you in there. But do it right away. Don't wait, Uh, because if you do, you probably won't get the reminder in time to get on the call. So, again, thanks to everybody for joining us. If you come on Blog Talk Radio with us tomorrow, you'll probably hear my voice again, unless I get run over by a truck or something in the meantime. So have a great evening, everybody, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Good night. Good night, Al. Good night. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.